What up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 134 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I sat down with Joe Lomas. She is an expat living in Phong Nha, Vietnam, has been there the last four years. And if you would have asked her five years ago if she ever saw herself living in Phong Nha, she would have absolutely said no way. She was really happy with her life back in England. She was in insurance, loved insurance, was working in insurance for 15 years, and again, just never saw herself as a country girl. She loved city life. She loved the action of just being in cities and going out on weekends with her friends and didn't see the slow-paced life of this small village in the middle of Vietnam being a place she'd wind up. But as fate would have it, she fell in love with a caver, Adam Spillane, who we heard from in the last episode. And she came out to check out where he loved and what he loved to do. And then, sure enough, fell in love with it herself. And now she has a job in another caving company and really likes her life. And in fact, seems to be the type of person who could really like her life anywhere. She's got that type of personality where she's adaptable and she can really just be happy anywhere, which was why it was such a pleasure talking to her and really inspiring just to be around people like that, who no matter what situation they find themselves are always going to see on the, they're always going to see things on the bright side and make the best of them. And Joe's that type of person. So it was really cool getting to know her and hearing her story. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to Misfits and Rejects on whatever you're listening to this on right now. Just pull out your phone, hit the subscribe button. That really helps me out, and I really appreciate it. And if you're really enjoying these episodes, please share them with a friend. Let anybody you know that they can listen to it on Spotify. They can listen to it on iTunes. They can listen to it on any podcast player. Spreading the Misfits and Rejects message of positivity, life inspiration, lifestyle design would mean the world to me. And I really thank you for your support. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Joe Lomas. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. I'm joined by Joe Lomas, a lovely lady I met here in Phong Ya, another one of the beautiful expats that I continuously go around the world meeting who would just captivate me with their cool stories, their cool energy, their cool personalities that I always think are really what makes what Misfits and Rejects is about come to life. You know, these just people that do what they do, have no kind of excuses for it. They just do it. And some of them come from, I guess, you might say, I don't want to say boring backgrounds, but like normal, you know, backgrounds that like you wouldn't expect them to be here. And Joe's kind of one of those people like prior to the show, we were talking about her life as an insurance saleswoman. <laughs> and now she's living the coolest life ever. So Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. That's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for coming on. Um, UK is where you're from. Yep, that's right. And Sheffield. Yes. So in the north. Up. In yeah. the north. What does that mean when you say in the north? Like um, you kind of like say like, oh, I'm from the north. What does that mean as a, as someone from the UK? I think a lot of people who come from Sheffield are so proud of where they come from. So it's kind of like they always have to state that they're from the north. It's just one of those kind of things that we do. Are you are you proud of being from Sheffield? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Um, mainly because of the friends and I think when people go to Sheffield as people who are not from there they always want to stay there and that's what reminds me a little bit like Fongyao so it's the same kind of thing you come you make friends you want to stay there 
So it's kind of like that. homey kind of um, community atmosphere that you might have had growing up. Yeah, yeah. And like people you meet become strong friends forever. You know, you just find that here. It is good. So yeah, maybe give the audience a little bit of an understanding of what life was like for you growing up. I mean, mom, dad, yep. together, grew up in a household where you were going to go to yep. university and become something very, extremely special. Very normal <laughs> life. Uh, dad's a builder. Mom worked in an estate agent amongst all of the jobs. Um, got a sister who's three years younger. Uh, I just went, I wanted to be a French or maths teacher in France. Um, but that didn't really work out because I realized at quite a young age that I didn't really like kids. So I decided not to become a teacher. Let me go back real quick. You wanted yeah. to be a French or maths teacher in France. Yeah. Meaning you were going to teach maths in French. Yes. To students. Yes. And the only reason you didn't do it is because you didn't like children, not because you were bad at math or like bad at languages. <laughs> I thought didn't really come into it. I don't know why. <laughs> so you're good at languages and you're good at maths. Um, I was, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I, I went to France on one of those field trips that you do when you're in school, like age 14, 15. Loved France, loved maths. Thought I could do this. So I always wanted to travel, but never did it. Interesting. So then you took that knowledge. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful gift to have, you know, like I lived in Nicaragua for 10 years and I can barely speak Spanish. Like, are you fluent? How many languages? No, I'm not fluent in any language. Um, not even in English. Um, I can speak a little bit of French. I can read French and I can write some French. Um, I speak a little bit of Turkish. I can probably get by with a few sentences in Spanish, German, and maybe like one sentence in Vietnamese, that's about it. That's okay. So then where'd life take you? I mean, you got a degree in, um, what? No, I never did a degree. Oh, okay. So that's probably one of the things that out here is uh, really common, that you should have a degree to be able to work out here. Um, but no, I decided not to go to university. I got a place, but I got offered a job working in a travel agency and decided to take the job. Uh, because it was eight grand a year, which back then seemed like an awful lot of money. Eight thousand pounds a year, and I was like, "Wow!" So I took that job, but it was just working in the office, taking the money that the traveling people paid to the tour operators, and just putting it into the computer. That was all it was. But on a Friday, when Karen, who I worked with, had a half day, I used to take trips to Manchester on a coach party, and just take people to go and see Phantom of the Opera at the theatre, usually the old dears and that was like that sideline that I just get to escape the office and that was it That's interesting, I've had a few other uh, individuals on the show, mostly females weirdly, mm -hmm. that did the whole like um, uh, travel agent thing, thinking yeah. they were going to become world travellers, <laughs> it's always not You, you get shit holidays, <laughs> you sit in an office while your manager goes and gets a town in Benidorm yeah, exactly. Going back to one thing you said that I thought was interesting was Coming here, there is an expectation that people have these educations and degrees. Can you elaborate yeah. on that? What does that mean? Well, whenever I've been anywhere where they might offer you a job or there's jobs going, um, they just expect you will have a degree because that's what they have in their country. Um, but I never went to university. And back in England, you can work in lots of jobs and not have a degree. Here, you can have a degree in, I don't know, biology and work in a bar. It doesn't have to be relevant, but they just expect a degree, which is weird, but I'm 46 years old, so it's kind of like to go back and do a four or five year degree to me is a waste of time when I've got 
university of life experience instead, you know? hundred percent. I think though, I'd love to get a little deeper on this because it sounds like the Vietnamese when they hire, cause it's very common here to hire a Westerner. Yeah. Expect you to have a college degree oh, yeah. Yeah. to get hired as a bartender, yeah. as a anything, anything. Even I think if I was going to sweep the streets, they would expect me to have a degree in gardening or something. I don't Interesting. Know. Yeah. But some of the girls in the office have asked me, so are you stupid in your country? <laughs> oh, man, I remember being in China and I'd had the little, I was actually teaching English and the yeah. Chinese students would give me all these intellectual kind of like puzzles or little word games. Like a riddle or something. Yeah, a riddle. And like I couldn't figure out, they're like, haha, you're not very clever. Like, <laughs> just make fun of me. I was like, shut up, I'm clever. <laughs> and then you'd have to Google it later. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, cool. So then... What was your life like prior to this? I mean, we uh, talked a little bit in the intro about, you know, you became an insurance saleswoman. and Yeah, it was weird, really, because when I went from being an office clerk in the travel agents, I then went and worked in the shop as a travel agent, selling, you know, trips to Euro Disney, things like that, um, the occasional wedding to Brazil or something like that, making a bit of commission, but not really very much money. Um, so... My granddad at the time said, you want to get into banking. That's where it's at. Get yourself into working in a building society or a bank. So I did. I took all the exams and I worked in a bank for maybe about five years, I think, and worked up from the clerk on the counter taking the money to mortgage advisor, financial advisor, and then like assistant manager. So I did quite a lot of different roles and within two, two different banks. Um, and I really enjoyed it, but it was hard work, you know, it's very serious, a lot of um, regulation and a lot of constant exams. I was good at exams. I could, you know, my dad often says, you can give me any exam and I'll pass it, but any common sense or sense of direction, no way. So, um, yeah, I had, I liked it, but I didn't enjoy it. You know, I was good at it, but it wasn't my passion. Interesting. Did so you know worked in a bank too? Yes. He did? Yeah. Multi's another friend of ours here that you'll get to hear from. Yeah, he's so cool. Like, his life is amazing. So, so I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, so um, so then from working at the bank, I decided that I didn't really want to do that. I wanted something different. And I decided I was going to take some time out. And I worked in the fraud department for the NHS. And it was basically spotting... Uh, medical practitioners that were doing prescriptions that were fraudulent for like methadone so they were basically selling the scripts to drug addicts for money and so and how could you tell that as an expert generally fraud? you would look through the signatures which is quite difficult when you're looking at gp signatures because they're all a little bit bad poor yeah, yeah. so but and then you would have to look at the dates that they did it and how often and what was the pattern and things like that and so then we'd report it and that data would then go higher up within the NHS and we'd prosecute so that was quite interesting and I did that for about an hour uh, an hour about a year and I got a little bit fed up it was a bit boring after a while mm. so that's when a friend of mine was applying for a job in an insurance company as a salesperson just like on the shop floor selling insurance over the phone and she said, there's some more jobs going, why don't you go for it? I was like, oh, I don't want to work in insurance. That'll be like, no way. I'm going to do it for a year. I did it for 15 and a half years. Whoa. 
because you just fell in love with it or no. because it was just good money? It was a really good, good it, it was a really good company. I worked for a company called Aviva. Uh, they were Norwich Union at the time. Um, and the pension was good. The holiday allowance was good. The benefit package was excellent. Uh, the training, everything. You know, it was like, yes, this is this is the proper job that people talk about. I've got a proper job now. Um, and I enjoyed it. But I soon made my way around like different roles. So I went from um, working as a salesperson. Then I became a trainer for some of the newer people. Um, I then went on secondment as manager when my manager became pregnant. I then went and did like a support role, all sorts of different roles. And eventually I fell into being like a risk assessor, kind of consultant job, which wasn't something I'd ever choose. But because they were going to go external for the job and I was like, I know everything about this role. Like, I could do this with my eyes closed. I just went into the boss and said, I'd like to do it. Eventually they said, yeah. Um, but yeah. I loved the company. I made some of my best friends now are still there, or I've known them from that role. And uh, I loved it. Now it was like, you know, some hours I'd work 85 hours and love skipping in on a bank holiday Monday because we'd got a new release of software. I was that Bullshit. sad person. Yeah, I Bullshit. was that sad person. I'd be like, come on, it's bank holiday. We'll have a few beers after. Let's all come in and let's do this. I was always that person. I would volunteer for Christmas because I had no kids. I would work the Christmas Eve. I would work the Boxing Day if needed. I'd do anything that was needed. I, I just, I thrived on it. All my friends worked there. We used to go out on payday Fridays. There's some stories that you can't even produce on this that used to happen there. And then, um, yeah, I, it was just like a way of life. You, you worked hard and you played so much harder. It was just life, you know? It was, and also through that, when I'm, when I worked, started working there, I was married, I got divorced, and then it became my playground for, let's go out, let's have some fun, let's make a, like a proper career out of this. And I progressed to like different managers and stuff like that. And I loved it, absolutely loved it. Loved it. Really interesting story because you had really no reason to wind up here. No. <laughs> you know, because your life sounds really great by the way you describe it. It mm -hmm. sounds like you were fulfilled by it. I mean, this podcast is a lot about, you know, people not ever fitting in maybe, or yeah. I don't want to, you know, put people in a no, box no. in sight. But. Well, that's why I was a little hesitant about should I be doing this or not? Because the misfits and the rejects, it kind of means different things to different people. Of course. But what I did find is when I did first come here, but it was a holiday, I was no intention of packing in my job. Um, I came here for a holiday and you see a different lifestyle a different way of working you know there's a lot of people now that are digital nomads like yourself or you know you just see different ways of working and then you go back to that and start to question what if what if I wasn't working here what if I didn't do 85 hours and then drink hard from Friday to Monday what if I had some free time to do something else happen what really? if what a beautiful little statement you made yeah. there what if so you came here and this was your what if, Feng Ya, or had you been another place that you kind of started questioning? No, this was, this was the only place. And the reason that I came is because my other half was already uh, attached to this place through caving, uh, which is what he's famous for. Um, and there was no question that he wouldn't be coming here. So when we met, the idea would be that he would work here and live here, um, either with or without me. That was the thing you know and to be quite truthful at the first I thought I can't ever imagine myself going and living in Vietnam I'm a city girl 
if there's not a Domino's pizza nearby and a wine bar, you know, I'm not going anywhere. So I did think I couldn't really hack it as a, you know, someone who cycles to work every day, someone who has to shoo the buffaloes away from the front door to get in at night. I didn't really see myself as being that person. The person who can't get in the car and just go to the supermarket and buy wine and chill out with their girlfriends. I didn't see that as being something I could ever leave. But I did. I'm guessing you did it for love, but at the same time you fell in love with this place? or Yeah, it was a hard decision because a lot of people would say, oh, well, you're doing it for love. And I've always had a motto, and a friend of mine has got the same motto, head, not heart. So you can choose to do things with your heart, but the main decision has got to be with your head because if it doesn't work out with your heart, well, what do you do then? So, you know. Yeah, not fair enough, I think. So I came a for a holiday, uh-huh. and then, then we decided I would come for a bit longer. So I asked for more work, time off at work, and it was over the Christmas period, but the people I work with have a lot of um, family commitments and because I'd worked there for so long always doing the Christmas period always never really cooking up like I'll do whatever I'm not bothered I was like can I have three weeks off and it wasn't really allowed to take three weeks off so it was a no but to come all this way for two weeks and at the Christmas period it's expensive and it's not really worth it so I then had to decide well do I quit my job just so I can come out here for a month mm-hmm. or not and I did you did. You quit yeah. for a month just yeah. to come out and, and give it a go. Yeah. Well, I quit, just as in quit, quit, and mm-hmm. thought, well, I don't know what I'll do. So I came out here and decided I'd be a lady of leisure. And my partner was kind of like, well, I'll support you. You don't need to work. Um, just see how it goes. See if you can fit in. And to be honest, I think he probably had doubts as to whether I would fit in because... I'm not an outdoors girl. I'm not adventurous. I don't really like to get muddy or wet or go climbing or walking or cycling. I do now, but I never used to. So. Yeah, you've been here four and a half years and to come out here as what you described as a lady of leisure. Exactly. <laughs> when you are such an independently motivated, driven woman to just kind of do your thing. Yeah. What was that like? It's funny you should say that, right? Because... I was a bit worried about that because I like I have always been very independent, always had my own money. I used to earn loads of money. Like I don't know what I wasted my money on when I was back there. You know, like if I had my time again, I would save at least half of everything I earned. But I came out here with not that much savings, and obviously the flights to and from are expensive. And I did worry. You know, I'm giving it all up to be a lady of leisure, which seems like a really good thing at first, but then. You feel a little bit like you should be doing something, and I'm not very lazy. I can be lazy, but I'm not naturally lazy. I like to stick my nose in things and help out and do stuff. So I ended up working in a cafe for a little bit here and teaching the, the girls that work there English. That didn't really suit me because I didn't realise people who work who go to cafes are so fussy, you know. I just didn't like that so much. The people I worked for were great. The staff I worked with were great. But the customers, I couldn't, I couldn't really handle that. That's funny. I mean, now you currently work for Jungle Boss, yeah. which as we learned from your partner from this last episode, Adam, that you have an exclusive contract to only go into certain caves within National Park. Right? That's he, right. He works for another company, yeah. like Solace. Yeah. They have exclusive contracts. Um, what's your role there? Um, my role is, um, strictly speaking, it's sales. 
Um, but I see myself as being someone that can help develop the staff to be able to sell more tours, to be able to speak more confidently with the customers, to, be able to give them the best information so that they can make an informed choice on what kind of tours they want to do while they're here. Um, I also work quite closely with the boss and the homestay manager and the people around, like in tour operations, to try and, if there's any feedback or any anything we can help with to improve the overall performance of the company, to try and do that. So it's kind of a loose role, really, but essentially it's to hit target and to make sure that everyone's on board with doing the sales and doing it in the right way. You know, So making sure that we're not selling the most difficult tour for a three-day stretch to someone who's got bad knees or something and likewise we're not sending someone who's super fit and really up for a, a challenge on one of the, the day trips that you'd send a six-year-old on you know so yeah. it, it's looking at how we best question the customers to find out what is going to suit their needs and then make that recommendation and this company is owned by uh, a westerner or a vietnamese vietnamese everyone in the company is vietnamese apart from me so when you applied and they saw that you didn't have a college education or university education. How many interviews did you have to go through to get the job? Well, as luck would have it, I already was on quite friendly terms with the owner. And I'd already expressed an interest that if ever there was any jobs going, I'd really be interested, even though I don't have a degree. And he already knew about my experience. And we talked a lot about kind of things that I would like to do around here. So he was very sympathetic of that. But obviously, there's the red tape and all the business visa and things like that to get through. So that could have been a stumbling block for him, but it hasn't been. It's been it's been okay. But I don't think it's that easy to just rock up, have an interview, and then go, I've got no degree, you know? Mm. So, But he already knew about me and the kind of things that I could do um, from other jobs that I'd done in the past as well that I'd told him about. So he did know me already, which, mm-hmm. which did help. And sometimes it's word of mouth, as, as it is in any country, when you're you know, back home and you're looking for a promotion, sometimes it's because someone's recognised what you're already doing or what you have done and they'll put you forward and, you know, sort of fight your corner a little bit. And I think there's a lot of that with Jungle Boss. Yeah, I'd like to dissect this aspect of what you do and how you kind of maintain yourself here because you are a Westerner. They hired you, which means then they helped you get the necessary paperwork to stay. Is that correct? Uh, Yes, and that means you get to then, what, stay here for a year, two years, three years? Um, at the moment, I'm here for three months on a business visa. Um, but I believe renew. you can renew it, yeah. But again, because I've only just started this year uh, in January, mid-January, we'll review it in mid-April as to whether or not he wants to carry on that contract. I see. And then prior to that, you were just doing the classic uh, border runs to maintain your yeah. sort of like... Because Stay before I'd, I'd become a bit accustomed to having a holiday because I was a lady of leisure, I'd be like, oh, Hong Kong, don't mind if I do. Um, so it did get to the point where we were going away quite frequently. When my other half could have time off, we'd just go somewhere nearby like Malaysia, uh, Cambodia, Thailand. Um, and it also meant that it was worthwhile me coming out here to go and then see other countries that I'd never been to. So it worked out quite well. No, and then we had the cool. visa. We, it wasn't even a visa run where we just went out the country and back. We were away for maybe a week or something or more. So the second part of my question is then, you know, with your boss being a Vietnamese individual, um, do they have a, like, higher education? All of the people that I work with directly all have a degree. So a lot of them have studied, they've studied in Hue, um, 
one person in Donghai, uh, some people further afield, like quite far, like Hanoi or maybe. And like various yeah. fields of like engineering to tourism all or all sorts tourism. of things. Some have done business and tourism, some accounts, some languages, some in English. Um, yeah, just various, but quite serious ones. The ones I work with are doing the sales have all got quite a serious degree. You know, no one's got, I don't know, uh, cookery or anything like that. They've got mm-hmm. like what we call like non-vocational subjects. Yeah. And then take it a little bit deeper and pull back another layer. Like what makes it even extra interesting is that they're now successful business owners and entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Jungle Boss is very successful. Yes. I mean, they, they provide a great service prior to you coming. I know you help and contribute, but like, this oh, is yeah, a Vietnamese a really run business that's like, yeah. and there's a lot of that here, which to me is really interesting because, oh. okay, they have a college education or university education in a very specific field. It doesn't make them necessarily a good business person. Yeah, but true. you do have people here who are tremendously successful. Yeah, I think the owner overall... I've never worked with anyone so uh, insightful, actually. He's got so many great ideas. Uh, he inspires, he leads. He's not just a boss that tells people what to do. He really does um, sort of lead by example and show people how to behave and run the company. Um, he you trusts, think it's a cultural thing? Yes. He does trust his staff um, to work with him with things. He doesn't just say this is what I'm going to do and you should all follow. He's kind of like an ideas man. He collaborates with a lot of people. He tries his best as well to see things from other people's points of view. So I've worked in companies where sometimes to put an idea forward, it kind of can get shot down because maybe they tried it three years ago, you know, and I'm sure you've experienced that yourself. Um, Here you say, oh, what if we try that? Yeah, well, let's try it today. Let's try this afternoon. Let's try it now, you know, and so he's quite inspirational in that way. He's also quite good at um, reading people and knowing when to kind of just stay focused and not take his eye off the prize and say, right, this is where we're headed. This is the goal. This is what we're here to do. Let's not get distracted by that kind of stuff. You know, he's very, very driven. And I think because of that, the staff, they work so hard. They work lots of hours. Um, They're inspired to do that as well. You know, sometimes I say, you need to take an afternoon off oh, no, I just want to get this finished. I want to do this. You know, it's refreshing, especially having worked in the UK. I'm not saying there are not people like that, but we have got a little bit more condition to go, right, well, that's my 50 hours done. I've done far too many. And then that's it. Hmm. Um, here, 74 to 90 hours a week is not uncalled for, you know. They're not meant to do that, but in their free time, sometimes they're like, oh, I just did this in my free time. Like, really? Oh, my God. Now, does he speak in English to you? Everyone speaks English. Um, in all of the meetings that I attend, they always speak in English. And it's to encourage them to be able to converse with the customers. Most of our customer base is English-speaking, and it's certainly Western, most of it, um, pretty much 90% of it. So to encourage everyone to be able to practice their English, whenever we have a team meeting, there's only me that's English. They all speak English. Does he display similar characteristics to other entrepreneur bosses around here that you know? And if so, like, mm. why? Like, is there just something in the water here that makes everyone like this? I'm not sure. 
Um, I've not had yeah, the duck too stop. Much. I've heard he's just like a crazy entrepreneur. Yeah, I think what it is is they're just so driven to make it work. And Fong Yang has got so much opportunity that I don't think they want to let it die. They want it to thrive. So they recognise that and know that they can make a difference. And they know that it's easy to make a difference if they get it right. And that's what drives them. I think make a difference personally in their their yeah. personal lives, their families' lives. Yeah, both, I think. And what yeah. about the community? They're trying to make the community yeah, better. Think you think so, it's yeah. all like selfish? And- no, I don't think it's selfish. I think they do want. I mean, there's always a, an element of let's make more money. Everyone's very similar in that. Um, you know, they want to make more money. But I think they're driven to make it a better place to visit. They want return customers. I've seen my boss and the people that I work with get absolute delight. Sort of like they're really happy when people return or when people, you know, they're just like, they treat people like family really easily, which you don't get back home. The trust is not always there, you know? Yeah, they do. No doubt. There's like an innocence, you know, like a belief that if they work hard, everything will work out and that the people that they speak to and the the customers will appreciate their efforts. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually doesn't go unnoticed by the customers. They like it. Absolutely, it's like an innocence with a calculated edge because they're not just somebody who's going to bend over backwards for somebody or like yeah. just take it in the ass. Because yeah, they feel yeah. Like you're, you're Although right. likewise, sometimes you think, "Oh my god, like I can't believe that they did that. They drove all the way to Donghoi because someone left their pen." Like, yeah. are you crazy? Like, you know, it's probably ran out. Have you tested it? You know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you often see people they leave things. Customers leave their passports. Fine, you know, we need to get that passport back. But they leave something like a cuddly toy and there's someone driving all the way over to Donghoi Airport to get it to them and it's quite crazy. You know? Wow, that's beautiful. It would never happen in England. They would just pop it in the bin. Like, it would happen. I mean, it wouldn't maybe. happen maybe on the scale it happens yeah, here. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, people still around the world, I think, are yeah. considerate and kind. I think it, when I came here, it renewed my faith in like human nature a bit more because obviously working is such a serious um, environment. And also, you know, I'd worked in fraud, worked in banking, looked at risk assessment, and basically, you know, looking at the bad guys most of the time. So you kind of come out here and then you're seeing the good in everyone. Mm. It makes you think, is it because they are better and nicer and harder working? Probably not. You're just recognizing it because there's none of the bad stuff that you see. You know, so it's, you just see the good, and also because you can't speak the language, you probably don't hear about the bad stuff because they're talking in their own language at that point. So you don't get to hear about it. Maybe that warm blanket of ignorance that we all wrap exactly. ourselves in. It's pretty cool in that way. What about your family? Are they coming to visit? Like mom, dad? Yeah, or? my mom and dad have already been to visit. Um, they really liked it actually when they came here. They really loved it. Um, even though um, my mom had to go on the back of a motorbike because there were no taxis or cars when they came, and my dad had to cycle on a bicycle, which he could do, but he'd not done that for a while. We did go on an easy rider on the High Van Pass. They loved that. Um, we, we spent some time like in Hoi An and went around different places. It was good, yeah. That's yeah. rad. As far as settling down goes, I mean, what do you think about that? Is that going to be something that you ever try to do here in, in England, so. somewhere else? I mean, are you... Well, you I'm selling my house at the moment in okay. England. That's going so through, you're cutting hopefully. That time, yeah. Like. Yeah, and the only reason I'll go back to England is to see my parents and my friends. I can't see me staying there permanently at any point ever again. You say never, you yeah, say of never. I mean, but people get sick maybe and you have to go back for whatever. Well, mm, I don't know. So even then, um, 
also my partner has a property in Turkey um, so we'll probably spend some time in Turkey like maybe up to three months of the year in the winter season we'll go back there uh, my parents also visit Turkey quite a lot so I'll get to see them and some friends will come over and see me so I do miss like driving around and seeing my friends and family but then you think of the quality of life that you have here and just like, you know the lifestyle is just different so different would you consider yourself somebody fulfilled by your lifestyle? I think it's probably a bit early to tell because I've never lived here the year round. This will be the first year that I've done the full nine months of the season, if you like, mm. without nipping off somewhere here and there. Um, and this will be my first full year of not being a lady of leisure. Yeah. So that will be interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I'm working like, yeah, longer, longer hours than is necessary okay. just to get it to a point where you know everything works mm-hmm. but I mean you also I mean you just really seem like so adaptable and like you can you can work yeah. 70 hours a week and you're happy yeah you can yeah. do nothing for 70 yeah. hours, you know actually I am yeah I'm a pretty happy person I don't really get too um, upset by stuff I'm quite happy go lucky and also I think um, once you've decided to make the decision to do something you either make it or you don't you can get really unhappy about stuff and moan about it but what's the point like, change it or put up with it. So, yeah. I, I mean, maybe elaborate time. a little bit on that because I think that's a grain of like some really? wisdom that is like a lot of people, I think, including myself, like I make decisions yeah. and I do what I want, but sometimes I'm just like still getting down, you know, in that situation. Like, oh, this isn't working. Like, even now with my entrepreneurial endeavors online, it's like, yeah. it's not really working, dude. Like, oh, I make yeah. a little bit of money. I'm like, fuck, man. I'm like, I think if you can accept that you're going to earn a little wage, but yet, if you adapt your lifestyle to only spending a little, because that's what it costs here, yeah. you can do so much more, much more things. So for me, like going from earning, I don't know, probably eight times the amount I earn, maybe more, maybe ten times the amount I earn now, but I was spending probably fifteen times the amount, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but I am one of those people that will always try and look on the positive side of life. I like to moan about food because there's things I don't like, but other than that, I'm pretty cool with stuff. I'll get on with it. But yeah, I am. I'm flexible and adaptable. And when I asked my friends when I was coming here for the first time and I said, I think I'm going to quit my job and come out, a couple of them just said, no, no, there's no way you could do this. And I was like, oh, there's a little bit of doubt. Like, have I done the right thing? Because I've already actually handed in my notice. <laughs> and, and I was just... But, I'm not the one that would go to my friends and say, oh, I don't know if I've done the right thing or oh, what shall I do? I, I take the decision, I go with it. And then if there isn't, if it's not the right decision, there's no point regretting it. Change your course of action and do something else. So, yeah. Beautifully said. If there is somebody listening out there that aspires to do what you're doing, say, is in insurance, mm-hmm. wherever, and they're thinking about, man, I'd really like to connect with her. You know, I'd mm-hmm. love to try that as well. Could you give him some advice? Oh, some yeah. words of wisdom, something encouraging? The thing I wish I'd done, and it's funny because a teacher once told me this when I was 16. I was doing A-level uh, French, and she said, if you really want to travel and teach French, back to what I used to want to do, um, she said, the best advice I can ever give you is to stop buying clothes. Never buy clothes, only the things you need. And I was like, that's a really bad bit of advice. I took no notice of it, but I now know what she means. Because I was never a fashion person, never bought a lot of clothes. But 
once I decided to move here and I realised how much stuff I had and a full wardrobe of everything and you realise you've got seven pairs of jeans and six of the same t-shirt and things like that um, you do realise actually all that money that you spend maybe even if it was only like I don't know 20 pounds for an item if you've got five of those that you never wore that's a hundred pounds which a hundred pounds here that would give you a week in Sri Lanka or something in a nice hotel. Ten nights in a hotel here. Exactly. Private room and bath. Exactly. So now, the best bit of advice I would say is stop buying shit you don't need. For one year before I came out, I didn't buy any more cosmetic products at all. So I already had like four shampoos, three conditioners and some body moisturizer that I never was going to use. I started to use everything I got in the cupboard and I still never used it all in one year. And so get rid of the products, you don't need them. And also out here, you can't get the products. So I don't use face products. I just use normal soap, normal shampoo. Don't use anything fancy that costs like $100 for the kit. And, you know, the skin looks the same as anybody else's. So it's, it's all good. But yeah, stop buying shoes. I had 72 pairs of shoes. I sold them all. So before anyone gives up anything, sell everything you can on eBay. Stop buying shit. And just don't waste money on the things you don't need. And also start saying no to the things you really don't want to do. And yes to the things that you wish you'd said yes to. Beautifully said, Joe. Thank you for joining us. We love you. Thank you. Awesome, Joe. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. Such an inspiration. So cool. Just how adaptable you are, how positive you are, how fun you are to be around. And the fact that you never saw yourself being an expat, living in Vietnam, let alone a super small village in Vietnam. You know, that's so cool. That's so inspirational. And I think... Joe's a great person that we all can model ourselves after, you know, sometimes you're going to meet that person that you fall in love with and they're going to really be passionate about something. And you might feel like you're compromising what you want to do in your life to go accommodate whatever they're trying to accomplish in theirs. And if you do make that decision, it's important that I think you take responsibility for that decision, go out there and then make the best of it. You know, don't make their life miserable because, uh, Oh, he loves caving and I don't like caving, but I followed him here. It's a small town. Like, be like Joe. She's there loving her life, making the best of it in her own way and tremendously happy and fulfilled doing what she's doing, you know, working for Jungle Boss, really taking responsibility for her life, owning her life situation and again, making a positive impact on the place that she lives, on the people she's surrounded by and enjoying her experience as well. So thank you again for listening. I think you all are so very beautiful. If you haven't yet, please subscribe. If you'd like to buy a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt, that would be awesome. You can go to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop, purchase a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt. Please share this episode with a friend. I love you all. I'll see you next time. Best wishes. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.